Hey everybody, welcome to the official Screenwriting Podcast. I'm Adam Levenberg. This week I'll be talking about Jurassic World on a brand new microphone, so hopefully sound quality will be improved from here on in. Also, I may do an episode on the first act of Tyler Perry's The Single Moms Club. This was a film that I put on basically just to go to sleep to. I've never seen a Tyler Perry film before, and wow is it a treat. It is a film that could only come from a writer-director who has absolutely nobody giving them notes. It's an entire film with multiple characters all speaking through the voice of Tyler Perry. It's interesting, to say the least. Also, I watched season three of Rita. I won't spend a lot of time talking about this, because I know very few, if any of you have even looked at it. Rita is a Danish television series that ran two seasons and then blew up as a worldwide phenomenon thanks to Netflix. And as a result, Netflix actually jumped in and financed a season three, which just premiered. And, you know, the interesting thing about this uh, show is that I believe it's the first series that Netflix helped finance that is foreign language. And the other thing is that everything that makes the first two seasons so spectacular is missing from the third season. I was massively disappointed. Also, Orange is the New Black season three. I will not give away any spoilers, but I will say that I have never seen as many storylines wrapped up in one episode as I did in the season finale. It is shocking how many characters they are juggling on that show. And part of the reason is that they pulled back from the lead uh, Piper, they don't deal with her as much anymore. And the result are multiple storylines that have absolutely nothing to do with her. They're not connected to her. They're not even connected to characters that she interacts with. So the result is probably the biggest ensemble that's ever been created for a television show. All right, let's talk about Jurassic World. Bryce Dallas Howard plays Claire, who is a park administrator. And it's interesting. She probably does about 10 jobs that would be done by different people in reality in this film. Um, She is everything at this animal park, which is on an island. And it's basically Disney World meets SeaWorld with dinosaurs. Claire's dealing with a few things going on. Uh, one of which is that the old dinosaurs, the brontosaurus or brontosauri, the uh, triceratops, nobody cares about those anymore. They want dinosaurs that are bigger, scarier, with more teeth. So the lab cooks up a Indominus Rex, which is basically bigger than a T-Rex. It has parts and gene splices from all different sorts of animals that makes it an ultimate killing machine. And, of course, this thing gets out. And unfortunately, it gets out during the time that Claire's two nephews have come to visit the island. And she's not with them. They're off taking tours and things like that. And then this, you know, insane creature gets out of its pen and all hell breaks loose on the island. Because as this creature is moving towards the park where most of the population of 20,000 people is, you know, it's destroying other habitats and breaking down walls and things like that that are allowing other dinosaurs to get out. So, you know, havoc is being created, and a lot of the film is spent with 
Claire trying to track down her nephews. Helping her is Owen, played by Chris Pratt. Owen is a raptor trainer. He basically is like a dolphin trainer with raptors. There's a great sequence early on where he falls into the pit with them. Uh, You know, when he's training them, he's doing it from a scaffolding above and training them to, you know, follow basic commands, throwing them uh, some food when they succeed. And, you know, he's he's sort of like a dolphin trainer slash lion trainer. So he's sort of the brawn of the operation. Once her nephews go missing, Claire finds Owen and says, look, you got to help me find these kids. Um, Here's the big problem for those of you who've seen the film. It's that Claire is sort of the lead commander of this park. She is shown running the place. She is in the command center. And this command center is sort of the core of what's wrong with this film in two different ways. One, because about 35 to 50% through the movie, Claire abandons it. You know, we see her making decisions once the Indominus Rex gets out. We see we see the island up on the big screen. We see the different territory. We see the way that this dinosaur is moving. And, you know, it's that eye-in-the-sky perspective that all big disaster movies generally have. They have that character who's in the control center, who's able to explain things and able to deal with strategy and talk about what the response to the specific threats that they're dealing with at that moment are, how those threats are going to be met, and of course, when everything that can go wrong does go wrong, what the next steps are. Um, By abandoning her post there, we're left occasionally cutting back to that control room, but it's not in any sort of functional way. It's just them following her orders, and she is not, at that point, really overseeing the park. So let me talk about what the biggest overall problem with this film is. It's that we don't get a very good sense of where the threats are coming from and how they're going to be dealt with. So it's like once this Indominus Rex gets out, Claire sends a team of soldiers, basically, to contain it. And they're all murdered. They're killed by this animal. Well, what next? Is there even a backup SWAT team on this island? The film just isn't concerned with this stuff. It's not concerned with, okay, when do we call the military in? When, you know, initially Claire refuses to have the the Indominus Rex killed because it's a $26 million investment. Well, that's totally fine on the first round of let's try to capture this thing. But once it kills all of the guys with guns who go after it, it would seem that maybe the calculus has changed. But aside from that, we never get a sense of sort of what the increasing threat is and what barriers are in place when those barriers fall and what they're going to do in order to meet the danger. This is what my biggest recommendation would have been if they had asked my opinion on the script. I would have suggested maybe a Jurassic Park app, something where people could have maps on their phones so that we could have some sense of where the characters are going. It would provide each character with the GPS so we could see on the big map sort of where they all are in relation to each other and allow them to travel to the areas that they need to 
without having it seem completely arbitrary and ridiculous that they'd be able to find each other. So, for example, there's a part where these two nephews end up way out of the way, and they end up in the old Jurassic Park. Um, And one of them fixes a vehicle and drives back to, you know, Jurassic World. Well, how the fuck does he know where he's going? And by the way, his aunt and Chris Pratt are on their tail trying to track them down and... How do they know how to track them down? (laughs) You know, the whole thing begins to feel sort of ridiculous, especially because there's scenes later where, you know, they go out into the wild with the raptors, the raptors turn on them, and then all of a sudden they're all back in Jurassic World and the raptors are cornering them. There's 20,000 people running around Jurassic World and somehow, uh, you know, these four or five characters become the center of all of the action over and over and over. So again, by moving her out of that control room, we really never get a sense of, okay, this is what we're trying to do. This is when we call the military in. This is, you know, because even though Vincent D'Onofrio represents a military contractor, he's not the military. So that's the big thing, that there's really no sense of the increasing threats that they're dealing with, the walls that are up sometimes literally uh, when the walls come down, and what their response to it is at any given point in the second half of the film. Here's a couple of small things that didn't happen early on that I think probably might have increased the watchability of this film. One of which is that we don't really get a sense of what the features of Jurassic World are early on. You know, part of coming into Jurassic Park was that we saw the gate. We sort of started off on the helicopter. We saw the gates. We saw sort of the different areas. We had some sense of how it all fit together. Here, we don't really get that until later on where Claire is in that control room, and then we abandon that so that we're not using that to increase the threat. But, you know, taking a tour of your location is one of the most important things that you can do with characters, especially when you're dealing with a sandbox environment, meaning an environment uh, that has limited locations, in this case, an island. Now, in the last week, I had a client who writes action scripts, and he had this action opening. And I came up with a term. I don't know that there's a proper term for this, but I call it the eye in the sky character. This is what Claire functions as when she's in that control room. She has a map. She has people on the ground getting information. She's basically fusing together a picture of what's going on. So it really helps to have that. It pulls everything together. And especially when you're doing these really big action sequences, I think that this is a major uh, element of perspective that you can use. You can ask yourself, when I have five or six different characters all off in disparate places doing different things. And sometimes they're in literal different places, and sometimes they're just having their own sequences on a uh, in a specific setting. And one of the easiest ways that you can sort of provide some clarity, especially on the page, is by having some character pulling it all together. So think about using an eye in the sky character, somebody who's in the control room, somebody who's looking at video footage, getting audio, uh, just anything to pull it all together. Um, secondly, I would have given uh, Claire's character an ally, somebody who could run the place in her absence. Because I think, and I've only seen the film once, but I think that like once she's gone, it's kind of just a free-for-all. 
One other thing we can talk about is the lack of chemistry between Claire and Owen. This has nothing to do with performance. If, if anything, actually, this might be the film where, you know, Bryce Dallas Howard shows that she's capable of carrying a huge billion dollar movie. Uh, she is. She's really cool. And, you know, the character very easily could have seemed like an uptight bitch. And I like the way that the character is written and the way that she portrays Claire as focused and professional without completely having a stick up her ass. She's not mean. She's not bitchy. Um, I, I appreciated that, even though the character Owen kind of suggests that she is because they are from very different uh, perspectives. Uh, you know, she's white collar. He's ultimate blue collar. When he's not training raptors, he's fixing motorcycles. That they give him a blue collar hobby, even. So he works with his hands. Um, he works with animals. This is sort of low station stuff. And, you know, Claire gets to ride on the helicopter with the billionaire owner and talk about the finances and, you know, run the park in a very hands off kind of way. Um, and, you know, we'll see her getting dirty over the course of the film. But, you know, the critics have referenced the fact that there's no chemistry between them. And that's because there's nothing written into the characters. Now, it's funny, uh, when she comes to Owen's trailer out in the middle of nowhere, yet again, another example of sort of blue collar station. When he could stay in a really nice hotel room, he chooses to be, to live in a motorhome uh, in the middle of nowhere overlooking the ocean. It's clear that they went out on one date. It was a single date and it didn't go well from what I could tell. But interestingly, we never get any details on it. And that might have been kind of interesting. We never find out who didn't return whose phone call after. Where is sort of this simmering tension between them? You know, where does it come from? Now, I can tell you exactly where it comes from uh, in terms of just general character building. And that's that, you know, characters with sparks, they basically have an intense sexual attraction for each other, but a personality and worldview clash. So they don't like each other, but they lust after each other. And over the course of the movie, they'll get to know each other a little bit better and get to appreciate where the other person is coming from, why they see the world the way that they do, how their past has shaped their experiences, and come to some sort of happy medium where they can learn to tolerate each other and then, you know, uh, get busy. In this case, we end up with the kiss between them at the end, and it feels so forced because we never find out what happened on that date. We never find out if one of them didn't call the other one back. We never find out what the problem was on that date, other than they just didn't really seem to like each other. And over the course of the movie, we never give either character a real appreciation for who the other character is as a person. And I recognize that in a film like Jurassic World, which is a product meant to earn a billion dollars within several days, which this one did, um, that that may not seem that important. But I would put forth that it is because you don't have to do all of the things that I just suggested. You don't have to find out all about their backstories. All we know about Owen is that he was in the Navy. Fuck knows what he was doing in the Navy that, you know, makes him a military guy who can train dinosaurs. I mean, who knows? But, you know, 
if you just do one of these things and give the characters an opportunity to connect and see each other differently through an appreciation, a visible appreciation of what the other character has done, then you've jumped over that hurdle and then they can kiss at the end and we can believe it. Finally, I'll talk about the opening image. You know, a lot of people look at Blake Snyder's Save the Cat and they say, wow, the opening image has to be the opposite of the closing image. I forget what the closing image was in this one, to be honest with you. But um, sometimes you just need something clever. And in this one, it was claws. You see these claws, these talons in the ground. And then the camera pulls back and it's a bird and it flies off. So it's sort of making us think that we're looking at a dinosaur and we're instead looking at this tiny little bird that flies off. Um, It's a bait and switch. It's using our anticipation of something to show us something and then twist that perspective in a way that's kind of clever and interesting and provides us with an opportunity to then, you know, follow the bird or to uh, use the bird as a focal point to zone in on the shot that the director has created. All right, that's all for this week. You can buy my book, The Starter Screenplay, on Amazon.com. If you want a signed copy, you can go to my website, Official Screenwriting, and I will sign a copy and send it off to you. Also, hire me for a concept consultation, 99 bucks. We talk on the phone for an hour. You can send me 10 one-liners. You can send me five paragraphs, you know, just a couple of pages, maybe three or four one-pagers. Get some feedback on your ideas before you spend a year of your life writing one. But hey, if you've already written that script, you can hire me to do a consultation on it. I do notes on the PDF. I do a full set of notes in a Word document. And then we talk about it for as long as we need to, anywhere from 90 minutes to four or five hours sometimes. As long as it takes, I'm happy to do it. I'm Adam Levenberg. Thanks for listening.